also would love to encourage us to keep praying for Nigeria. And why do I um, keep saying, keep praying for Nigeria? Outside of the fact that Scripture um, encourages us to do that, because the Bible says, uh, uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and with that you can say, okay, maybe it's talking about Israel, but much more than that, uh, we can also say it's talking about our own Jerusalem. It said, they shall prosper that love thee. Your peace and my peace, and the peace of my business, or my career, or my family, is a subset of the peace of the nation. The subset of the peace of the nation. So you can't live in Nigeria and have peace in isolation. If they're shooting on the street right now and everywhere is in disarray, we can't hold service there. So we can't say we're just very good people, elevation people, we have to go to church whether they're shooting or not. You, nobody will tell you before you, <laughs> you stay back in your house if they're shooting out there. That's why uh, um, when we play our part by praying for our nation, all that we're saying is that we recognize that the peace that I enjoy, being able to move around, go to work, do my own business, you know, and everything good, is a subset of the peace of the nation. So we keep praying for the peace of our nation, uh, lifting our leaders before God, that God will uh, use them to do the right things, and that God will, uh, uh, you know, keep pointing them in the right direction. And, you know, we're also going to the election year. We need prayers like never before, that the right people will be able to step into office, and that God will do his will in their lives, uh, and through their lives in Jesus' precious name. I say better, Amen. All right, this afternoon, I'll be sharing with us on what I've titled Contagious Christianity. Contagious Christianity, where in a month uh, where we're emphasizing and reawakening ourselves uh, to the need for us to be soul winners and to be people that God can use to bring many people into the kingdom of God and into the knowledge of God and his righteousness. Uh, And it's very important for us uh, this month not just to focus on how we become, uh, um, how we win souls this month, because we have Mission 555, which says pray for five, talk to five, invite five. Uh, beyond Mission 555, for us to be able to say, even after this month, I am positioned, I am, you know, uh, uh, equipped to be the kind of person that God can use to always touch lives. You know Why? Uh, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read through scriptures, two scriptures this afternoon. Matthew chapter 5 and Acts of the Apostles chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13 and 14. In fact, I'll read it down to 15, three verses. And I'm going to read one verse in Acts of the Apostles uh, chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 5 uh, verse 13. The Bible says, you are the salt of the heart. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And verse uh, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And look at what verse 15 says. said, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. King James says, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel or, or, or a covering. He said, you put it on a lampstand and it lights everything in the room. I love the New American Standard uh, version. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, somebody say tasteless. Oh, come and say it again, say tasteless. If the salt has become tasteless, 
That means uh, what the New King James calls flavor, this calls taste. And salt, is, it brings taste. It brings flavor. And it says, when it has become tasteless, when it has lost its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be trodden underfoot, trampled underfoot by men. And many Christians today have destinies trodden underfoot. Men are just riding rough shots over your destiny. And that which belongs to you, you can't lay hold on them. Uh, and part of it is because you are not playing your part well in the kingdom of God. And God cannot say, this is my salt and this, is, this person is a light. Because there's a connection between how I fulfill destiny and if I'm not going to fulfill destiny with the devil and I'm going to fulfill destiny with the power of God, there's a connection between that and how I am the salt and the light. Acts of the Apostles chapter 4. And I'll read verse number 13. Acts of the Apostles chapter 4 and verse number 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I wanted to look at that scripture very well. Acts of the Apostles chapter 4 and verse 13. They saw something in these two men. They saw boldness. The Bible says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Don't forget we're talking about contagious Christianity. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, and knowing that they were, like King James put it, ignorant and unlearned men. This one says uneducated and untrained. You, can, you could as well say they were uncouth. They lacked style. They, they, they just, you know, more like ragtag people. Because, and when you look through the scriptures, you see it's not, it wasn't their fault. They were just crude fishermen. Jesus went on the lake of, you know, uh, or the Sea of Galilee and saw these guys. Peter was a fisherman. James and John, sons of Zebedee, fisher, fishermen. And then he called them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here, after Jesus had left, this is Acts of the Apostles. The Bible says they saw them. And it said they saw, they noticed their boldness. And knowing that they were untrained and untrained, uneducated men. The only thing they could say was that they took knowledge of them that they have been with Christ. Your being with Christ, what has it done to you? That's a big question because we're talking contagious Christianity. What has my being with Christ done to me over the months and over the years? Has it brought something noticeable that people can see and say, even though we know that this person doesn't know much, but you see, because there's a measure of boldness that is required to fulfill destiny. For some people here, people have been sharing the things that belong to you. It has to stop. It's because of your lack of assertiveness concerning the issues of destiny. So many people are not able to draw the line between how I'm able to stand for God and represent God well, and how if I'm going to use the power of God to fulfill destiny, I also need to be able to be assertive and bold about what I believe in God. I will stay together. Yeah, there's a connection between the two. Because in life, you have the choice of using the power of the devil to fulfill destiny. And at the same time, you can use the power of God to fulfill destiny. 
So when you're in business, some people are using occultic powers to make a headway in business, and some people only rely on the power in the name of Jesus. Now, if I'm relying on the power in the name of Jesus, that means I must get to a point where I am bold about what I believe. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When you see occultic people, what do they do? They walk with boldness. They, in fact, they make assertive statements that they have not born anybody well who can say, I can't do what I'm doing right here now. There's, there's some power behind them propelling them to make such declarations and such, you know, to assert themselves in, in that way. As believers, I need to let you know that we only get to a point where we become we, we start to maximize the power of God like that when we are assertive about our Christianity and we understand the potency of our Christianity when we become real contagious Christians. You know, you know what shows that whatever you are carrying is contagious? It's like when you have cold, common cold. You can't prove that you have common cold if you are sneezing and nobody is sneezing. After a while, when you, if you start sneeze, sneeze, you go to work in the morning, you've been sneezing. And some people have been putting their notes, putting their notes, by close of business. They should start feeling something should be itching them here. And they'll be saying, ah, you, you, you're giving me that thing. That's when what you have is potent. How often is that what I'm saying? That's the proof that you have cold. That somebody can catch it. It's not just that you're sneezing. If you're sneezing on your own, as in you're sneezing, you're sneezing, five people are sitting around the table with you, and they're not catching anything. Go and check your cold. It's not cold. <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> Please, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So I can't say that I... I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and nobody's catching, you know, this thing. Nobody's feeling my effect. Is somebody still with me today? So being a contagious Christian is about promoting Jesus at every opportunity. Yeah. Promoting Jesus at every opportunity. Why? Because I can't be salt today and no longer salt tomorrow. You are either salt or something else. <laughs> How do you understand what I'm saying? It's about promoting Jesus at every opportunity. A contagious Christian knows that we are saved to serve and made for, to, uh, for a mission. Saved to serve, made for a mission. Somebody say after me, say, I'm saved to serve, and I'm made for a mission. Oh, let's say it with energy. I, I think we have eaten before we left home. You know, this is not first service. This is last service, all right? <laughs> so I, I'm saved to serve. I'm made for a mission. Praise God. I said, praise God. So a contagious Christian knows that I'm saved to serve. I'm not just saved for saved sake. I'm saved by Jesus to serve, and I'm made for a mission. So I go everywhere with that at the back of my mind, that I'm saved to serve, I'm made for a mission. I'm saved to serve, I'm made for a mission. So your effect, uh, or, or sorry, you infect people primarily by taking a stand on the gospel and making a difference in your sphere of influence. Taking a stand on the gospel and making a difference in your sphere of influence. So a key word here this afternoon is influence. Influence, influence, influence. Don't forget we're discussing contagious Christianity. Anything that is contagious uh, is something that can affect or influence something else, somebody else or something else. So influence is very key in this discourse this afternoon. And influence is defined as the power to change. It is the effect that one person has on the other person. And the best description of influence that I've seen in my wild study 
and I cannot claim to have studied everything in the world, but I, it's my opinion that the best des description of influence is this biblical metaphor that Jesus used, salt of the heart and light of the world. It's the best description of influence that you can ever think of. Salt of the heart and light of the world. Salt of the heart and light of the world. Somebody say after me, say, I'm the salt of the heart and I'm the light of the world. Come and say it again. Say, I'm the salt of the heart and I'm the light of the world. This is the best description of what influence is all about. And I'm going to unpack it in a moment. Best description of what influence is all about. Influence, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is what influence is all about. When you examine salt, salt, for instance, has two primary things that he does. One is that salt preserves. It's a preservative. It's widely used in many industries today because of the potency of the content. You know, those chemical contents that make up the salt. It preserves. Second thing is that salt flavors. It gives taste. You want your food to be bland, as bland as bland can be, don't put any salt at all. And don't put any other thing to season. So it seasons, it gives flavor. It preserves. And the Bible says, this is influence. The ability to preserve and flavor or give taste. You know what? When salt makes contact with anything, it changes the fabric of that thing from the, the composition of it. It starts to alter the composition. That's why it affects the taste. I hope you are still with me. Yeah. If you know anything at all about science, you know it gets to the root of that thing and changes the composition of it. That's influence. That's influence. And Jesus said, that's who I am. That's who I am. He said, I have the power of influence to change the composition of people's life and people's you know, destiny. That's, that's, that's how God sees me when he looks down from heaven. And until I start to see myself like that, I won't be able to do much with what God has given me. Is somebody say with me today? Yeah, I won't be able to do much with what God has given me. So he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Two things there, salt and light. Salt and light. What does light do? Light dispels darkness. I think three weeks ago I was saying this, that have you ever seen it anywhere in the world before where you enter a room that's filled with darkness, you switch on the light, and now see light and darkness, they jump. They're now struggling. Darkness is pushing light. Light is pushing darkness. And you just see, okay, okay, maybe you should put another bulb. Maybe this light will now become more powerful and we just push. <laughs> no. Anywhere you switch light on, it dispels the darkness. The Bible says light shines in darkness. Darkness cannot comprehend it. Is somebody still with me today? And when you look at those two scriptures very well also, you see that Jesus, when he was re referring to salt, he says you are the salt of the earth. When he was referring to light, he said you are the light of the world. Earth and world, two different things. I believe that when Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, he was talking about human beings because we are from the earth and we will return to the earth. Yeah. Yeah. 
that we can flavor and preserve humanity. That we hold the key to the transformation of the fabric of people's destiny from inside out. And he said, you are the light of the world. When you check Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3, there's a scripture there that I love very well. The Bible says, for, uh, it, 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 it said, by faith we understand that the words were framed. The words were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made out of the things which are were not made out of the things which are visible. That means the way the, the world works is that tangible things are made out of intangible. Visible things were made out of invisible. So the supernatural is the mother of the natural. The intangible world creates tangible world. When God was going to create the whole world, he only spoke words. Words intangible brought tangible things. Let there be animals. Let there be plants. Words from intangible to tangible. I hope you understand what I'm saying. And the Bible says here that the words, the word, uh, words there, is, uh, the word trans, the same word that is translated cosmos, which uh, simply talks about not just the essentially the physical things of this world, but the things that move the world, the philosophical beliefs, the worldviews that are shaping humanity. Human beings are programmable beings. So from age to age, we're programmed by prevailing philosophical beliefs. Somebody say, following me this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I know it's getting hot out there, so uh, it, sometimes it affects how quickly <laughs> we, 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 we can grasp. But you're getting what I'm saying. Human beings are programmable beings. And what happens to us is that we are programmed by prevailing mindset, worldviews, and philosophical understandings. So whatever looks good in the world, that's what. And when this worldview and understanding is against the scripture, that's what is called darkness. The word is a light unto my feet and lamp unto my path. That's what the scripture says, Psalm 119. Thy word. So the word of God, the truth of the word is light. And the Bible says we are the light of the world. And the certain things that are moving everywhere in the world and, you know, creating understandings and belief systems, what people believe and how people want to live their lives. And what the scripture is saying that we, me and you, we are the light of the world. We shine that light in darkness. We dispel belief systems that are ruining people's lives out there. And then their lives start to gain fresh meaning. Can I ask this big question this afternoon? Who is influencing whom? Who? Because you know the truth? If you are not influencing anybody, the possibility is that you are being influenced. You just don't know it. Power is never static. Not stagnant. It's, it's always flowing. You know. Why do you know something is powerful? It makes impact when it misses you know, the contact. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. It makes impact. How do you know that somebody has touched you or slapped you? You feel something. Yeah. That's what makes it powerful. 
And the more powerful, the more pain you feel. So power is never static. It's always flowing. And if you are not influencing your environment, your environment is influencing you. That's the truth. If you are not influencing your environment, your environment is influencing you. You cannot say that, you know, I'm having a nice time in my office. Nobody influences me there, but I don't influence anybody. <laughs> you are living in denial. Because the truth is that something is influencing you if you are not influencing anything. If you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. That's the truth. And many people, many Christians are falling for anything today. Falling for lies, falling for, you know, all sorts of hypocrisy. And just, we're just consumed by many things, but we are not even aware. And we're losing our flavor. We're losing our saltiness. We're, we're losing, you know, our ability to dispel darkness from time to time. But the contagious Christian is the one that moves around with a mindset that I'm the salt of the earth, I'm the light of the world. So, wherever I go, I make impact. I change the taste of the place. I'm changing the flavor of somebody's life. I'm adding color to somebody. A destiny is getting brighter just because I'm around. Something is changing. Something is changing. Something is changing. That's why the Bible says in Acts 4, verse 13, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They reckoned that they have been with Christ. You know, there are some ways you'll be able, people will ask you, where have you been? Because maybe this, you haven't been with Christ. <laughs> if you have been with Christ, you won't be like this. I have somebody who's with me today. So when we're talking contagious Christianity, it's that which flows from Jesus to you and changes the fabric of your inner self to the point that you walk on the street and people will be able to ask, who is that? You get to some place and people will say, what is it about this person? You know the same Peter? The same Peter, when they arrested Jesus. And he was following them from a distance. And then they got to a place. And one young girl said, ah, this man, he looks like one of his disciples. Peter said, me? No, ah, no. Look at me very well now. I don't know him from anywhere. You know, Jesus told him, you're going to do it three times. <laughs> three times. <laughs> because, be, 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 you know, uh, uh, before the cock will crow, you, you do it three times. And he did it. That same Peter, after he has encountered grace, was the same person that the Bible says they saw in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verse 13, with John, and he said, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they reckoned that they have been with Christ because they were ignorant, uncouth, and unlearned men. You know, but they know that this boldness could not have come from anywhere else but from Jesus. I remember the story I've told in a few of the services, maybe one or two of the services today, about my own experience of salvation as a young person. And one person that made me understand, I mean, to really understand this passage of the scripture very well. A young man that I went to secondary school with, a great guy now, you know, lives in the city of Atlanta in the U.S., a medical doctor, uh, doing great. I caught up with him, uh, I think it was last March. Last March, I was, um, I was in the state of Georgia and we were able to catch up maybe after like 10 or 12 years, you know. This young man, when I was in secondary school, you can imagine as a form three boy, I saw this guy. 
And I knew there was something different about him. Let me explain. All right, so at that time, all I wanted to do was just misbehave, as in just misbehave. There's no other way I could put it. I just wanted to misbehave. And I can tell you why. I, I was programmed to misbehave. Why? All my brothers were misbehaving. As at that time, my oldest brother had finished his master's degree. I think he was pursuing his PhD at that, as at that time. And I had many other brothers. I'm number 20-something in my family. So maybe I had like, like maybe 13 or 15 brothers. And one of them was the head of a confraternity in UI. Another one was doing his own at fair. They were bad boys. I had no other reference point but them. You know, there's the, you know sometimes you, you can be in a position where you are thinking, should I be bad or good? I wasn't thinking of good because I didn't know good. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. I, I didn't know good. I just thought that was the good life. I knew my brothers having four girlfriends at the time, you know, as they go. And, you know, as a 10-year-old, I would see girls crying in our house. <laughs> that was how I grew up. <laughs> that was how I grew up. As a 10-year-old, I remember the bachelor's of one of my brothers. <laughs> Please don't say this outside. <laughs> the bachelor's of one of my brothers. On, I think it was a Thursday or Friday night, his wedding was on Saturday. They grooved all night. And happened in our, in our compound. My dad's house, the particular one we lived in then, had an open roof, you know. So they were grooving on the open roof. The next day, I went to my brother's door. He was getting married, you know, the next day. And I saw dance on the door. I was now asking one of my brothers, what happened? He said, while they were grooving up there, he left his wife that was going to marry the next day and went to sleep with another girl. So it was that girl that went and started banging on the door and dented, well, almost pulled down that door. Those were the kind of people I grew up with. So getting to secondary school, all I wanted, if you have a course in secondary school, I would join it. Because all of them were court boys, all of them were bad boys. There was nothing, you know. And then I, I, I met this young man, and I met this particular one that I was talking about, Dr. Salami. This guy perhaps got born again from maybe from two or from one. As at form three, I was in the boarding house. He was a day student. His parents were allowing him, especially when there was no driver around. He was already driving. He would drive a BMW 3 Series to school with his brothers, two brothers, one in form two, one in form one. He would park his car as a responsible young man. They would go to class. At the end of school, they would all, I mean, with his rucksack. And I was like, man. Whoever is tempting this boy with this must not try me. You give me that car, I'm going to kill myself. I know. Because I won't go to class again, and I'll paint this town red. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So I used to ask myself, who is this guy? As in, who is this guy? How can a young boy like this be responsible? Even though I didn't know the definition of responsibility, but I was, I'm telling you what was going through my mind. I knew there was something different about him. Just to school. I mean, for a long time, I would just ask myself, who, who is this? I said, how? I didn't understand it. I had friends. We just wanted to, we didn't know, but what we wanted to do was just misbehave. 
And to see this young man come to school, park his car, you know, with his brothers, arrange everything, and they're okay. And you meet him in class, he has good grades. You know, the only issue was that with all the nonsense that I was positioned to do, I was still doing well academically. So when it comes to maybe the trial and debate society and all that, I was always grouped with him and his friends. So that was how we came close. The first time I had an encounter with him where, uh, was a, a walk, you know, for students maybe in our set. We were walking, a long stretch walk, this endurance trek, and he decided to walk with me. And then he decided to talk to me about Jesus. He started to talk to me about eternal life. I listened because he had always been a mystery to me, the his person. You understand? So I had to listen. Because I knew there was something about him that I, I don't understand. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So I listened to him just because his life had been a misery to me. You know, just like they said, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they knew that they were ignorant and unlearned men. I saw a responsible young man, and I knew he's too young to be that responsible. So there must be something in his life that, you know, made him that responsible. So I listened to him. Many months passed, maybe one or two times or three, and then one day, he invited me to fellowship because we had Friday fellowship, Christian fellowship, and Friday Jumat you know, service. I was a Muslim boy, so I went for Jumat service. After Jumat service, as I was going back to my room, I just thought, Shegun invited me, Muiwa invited me, Buega invited me, Henry invited me, I had to go because this, these boys would not allow me to rest. So I went. That's why sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, all the time you need to invite people to the presence of God. As a young Muslim boy, I walked into that room that day, that hall, the school chapel. I had no business there. By destiny, I, must, I should never have stepped into that place, if not for those guys. And I tell you, because they got my attention. Christ, I mean, that Christianity was contagious. We would, go, we would go to read during prep. Like two of them were in the boarding house with me. And then we'll sit down as young people. They will say, we, we want to pray before we start reading. So I move, me, I'll go to that side. They will pray. Because I, there was no connection for me between prayer and reading. Reading, prayer. And more so as a Muslim, if I want to pray, I have to knock my head, you know, and all that. So it's not, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> I'm just trying to be funny. All right. <laughs> you know, so they will sit, they will pray, and then continue reading. I just used to look like, who are these guys? Then this Friday afternoon, just to please them, I went to fellowship. Sat somewhere around the back, just looking at what they were doing. I'd never been in a Christian gathering before. And there was an adult that was invited to share the gospel. It was a special event. They'd been telling me about it for weeks. That day, I may not be able to explain everything that happened to me, but something, the Holy Spirit convicted me to show me that I was heading in the wrong direction. When the man would call for prayers, or if he wanted to give their life to Christ, I stepped out. This was 25 years ago now. I stepped out, and that was it. Gave my life to Jesus. Walked to the altar, and literally speaking, I've not returned from the altar since that day. Glory to Jesus. But it was one person's life, a contagious Christian that I saw, what I saw in him, just like he said, he saw the boldness of Peter and John. I saw, even though I couldn't put in that exact word at that age, but I saw responsible, responsibility. 
saw responsibility. I couldn't handle what he was handling. That's how to be contagious as a believer. My wife was telling me about, you know, earlier in her banking career when she used to work with UBA, that there was a one Muslim boy in the branch, you know, where she worked, where, you know, they interacted and all that. And, you know, and he said one day, the boy just walked up to her and said, young woman, he said, you don't have any problem in the world. He said, since you started coming to this place to work, I've never seen you sad or not smiling one day. What is it? He said, you don't have any problem. And she said, this guy even was trying to make her realize why she, she should not be happy all the time. That you said you live in Maryland, you work in Lagos Island. You come up, <laughs> and this was in the early 90s. You, you come through all this traffic every day and everything, and you are always happy, always cheerful, you know, always encouraging everybody. What's your problem? <laughs> and my wife said, he told him, I mean, she told him, the truth is that I have issues, but Jesus is in my heart. And that's why I'm happy all the time. And that was a starter for a conversation that would see her talking to that guy about Christ. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. For you, it may be that they saw the joy of Sister Joy. Or, or they saw the love that is coming, you know, from uh, Sister Love. You know, or something. But there must be something that the world is seeing about you that makes them to connect with you and makes them know that God is working in your life. That's how our Christianity becomes contagious. That's how our Christianity becomes contagious. That's how we know that God is at work in our lives. Say amen, somebody. As I say amen, somebody. We shine our lights and with our light we dispel all forms of darkness. There are many, many forms of darkness going around in the world today. People with all kinds of beliefs. Maybe I can share one or two before I bring the service to a close. There are five big ideas, prevailing thoughts, psychological uh, or philosophical framework that are ruling the world today. Time will not permit me to go into everything. Uh, but when you hear, for instance, somebody saying something like what is called scientific empirism, which is what can't be scientifically proven should not be believed. That's what people in the world are believing. As light, we need to come out and say, look, my life is a miracle. If you're looking for a miracle, I am one. Because this happened to me, that happened to me, and that happened to me. Are you still with me today? People say, whatever cannot be scientifically proven should not be believed. Then where is the place of science and wonder? Where is the place when medical doctors say, look, your problem is not medical, it's not scientific. Many people have come for prayers just like that because doctors say, and then we pray for them, and then they receive their healing. And then somebody is still saying, whatever cannot be scientifically proven should not be believed. That's what we call darkness. 
if you don't know the definition of darkness, is those philosophical beliefs shaping our world today. It's heavier in the West and it's coming to us gradually. If somebody say with me today, that's what we actually call darkness. Darkness is not a demon hovering anywhere. It's much more than that. Those ones are real, but these ones, they're not like that, but they're coming. The, the influence is getting stronger. It's getting stronger. It's getting stronger. It's getting stronger. And some Christians are beginning to believe that. Another one, they say, the f- freedom means doing as I please. It's called moral relativism. Moral re- relativism. Freedom means doing as I please. So if it feels good, do it. Moral re- relativism. Freedom is doing as I, as I please. So, but mo- what most people don't understand is that the scripture says that that's what is called the burden of freedom. With freedom comes responsibility. I spoke about my young friend. The fact that, you know, you have access to something doesn't mean you can handle it. Freedom comes with responsibility. I was talking to some friends of a young man in this church over dinner on Friday. You know, we're just talking. They invited me for dinner. He invited his friends who are not saved and he wanted me to just talk to them. But not formal like this, like preaching or anything. We're just talking. And then some of them had questions, so they were supposed to ask me their questions as we chatted over dinner. These are, you know, in their own world, big boys. <laughs> but they knew nothing. On the first lane to hell, <laughs> literally speaking. And you know, when I was talking, initially, I didn't know that I was giving them jabs as I was talking, as in, in one, one I was talking about when I was an undergrad, and, um, you know, I, I would go and talk to, one of them asked me, how did you know you're supposed to be a pastor? So I was telling them about my experience, and I'd spoken about somebody who was smoking his life away. I didn't know that one or two of them were chain smokers. So afterwards, one said, pastor, what do you have to say about, about smoking? And at that point, the Holy Spirit just brought moral, moral relativism into my mind. To say what this guy is saying is, okay, you look through the Bible, maybe there's nowhere in the Bible that the Bible says uh, smoking is a sin or anything like that. And, uh, you know, he just wanted to, and I just told him, I said, you know what? What does your doctor say about it? He said, he said that smokers are liable to die young. So is it giving life or giving death? Obviously, the answer is, is giving death. If it's giving death and I cannot stop, that's not freedom, that's bondage. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But the devil wants people to feel that because you are supposed to be free, if it feels good, do it. But Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. So is he giving you death or is he giving you life? Behold, I said before you today, life and death, choose. The moment you cannot choose what gives life, you are in bondage. It's no longer freedom. Are we still together? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm dying, but I can't help myself. Is that freedom? No, somebody answer me. Is that freedom? <laughs> and maybe I'm confronting somebody in this service this afternoon also. That's not freedom. I can't be saying, they said this thing will kill me, but I can't help myself. Because I, 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 I'm, I'm responsible for myself. So I can do as I like. But you're dying. Anything that is addictive, has the power to put you in bondage. 
But the devil will not tell you that. He's just saying, <laughs> be successful. Or test. You know, when you see a billboard for uh, Rotmas, they'll say, taste success. Have you seen it before? You know, now they don't advertise again. In those days, in the 80s, when they still used to advertise. Yeah, you see Marlboro. You see all those cowboy guys, you know. And then they will, after they finish, come down from the horse and then light one. <laughs> just, just, just to show that life is good. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the truth is that this is bondage. So it's not about heaven or hell. It's about are you dying or are you living? And when you know, anytime you know the right thing and you cannot turn, you're in bondage. You need help. And you need to ask for it. But the devil keeps keeping people down with all these philosophical frameworks and mindsets. And we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Shine your light. Let the whole world see. Shine your light. Let your friends see it. Let your colleagues see it. Let your business, you know, associates see it. Let your family see it. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me in Samaria, in Judea, and in the uttermost part of the earth. Let everybody see it. That the light of God is coming out of you. Lift your right hand to Jesus this afternoon. And tell him, Jesus, I want to be the salt and the light indeed. Help me to be salt and light indeed. Somebody here this afternoon needs to ask God for the spirit of boldness afresh. Ask for the spirit of boldness. Boldness to do the right things. Boldness to be a good example. Boldness to talk about Jesus. Boldness to speak out. Boldness to shine my light. Boldness to shine my light. Boldness to shine my light. Because many destinies have been locked up just simply because we don't have that boldness to talk about Jesus. So many other things that we're supposed to be able to talk about freely, to access what God has in mind for us, we're losing out on them. Somebody has for fresh grace for boldness. That truly and indeed I will be a contagious Christian. Lift your two hands with me this afternoon. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone under the influence of my voice. And I ask everlasting Father for any destiny that may have been locked down. Locked down under the influence of hell. Locked down under lies. And wrong belief systems. I command today a setting free in the name of Jesus. I break the hold of the spirit of timidity over somebody's heart this afternoon. I command an impartation of the spirit of boldness. Somebody from this afternoon becomes bold to represent Jesus. Somebody from this afternoon becomes bold to lay hold on your destiny and your inheritance in Christ Jesus. As you Share the light of Jesus. As you shine the light of Jesus, I decree in the name of Jesus that the hand of God rests upon you. Somebody here, God will use you to touch your friends 
and the boldness required is coming into your heart right now. Father, we thank you. Wherever salt has lost its taste in the life of your people, we ask for restoration this afternoon. We ask for restoration this afternoon. We ask for restoration this afternoon. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray.